Right. Morning, Steve. Morning, Tom. Oh, I came in a bit loud there, didn't I? I've got uh, I've got some big news for you this morning. Epoch ground groundbreaking news. Have we gone big time at last? No, I am one year older than I was on last week's podcast. I thought I wasn't allowed to talk about that. I thought you hated birthdays. Well, I do, but I just thought, you know, get it out of the way. I mean, I wished you many happy returns yesterday over WhatsApp and you just replied with hit birthdays. I didn't really know where to go after that. So I, I, just kind of, I just kind of changed the subject entirely. I do hate birthdays. So I'm now closer to 50 than I am to 40. Uh, wow. I'm still I'm still me- I think I'm still mentally stuck at about 25. So. I'm, I mean, I'm not even that high. Basically, I'm, ba- I'm, I'm, well, yeah, I'm basically still a child. I bought, um, this is very off topic, but bear with me. I bought, um, I'm trying to get my little girl into football. She's resistant to everything at the moment. Um, and I bought her Sabutio because she looked at it like for half a second in, um, in a shop the other day. And I've bought her Sabutio under the grounds that it'll get her into football. But really, it's just because I want to play Sabutio. Yeah, there's a lot of that, isn't there? There's a lot of voyeuristic living through your child's development, and any any whiff of some interest in something that's not a switch or a tablet, and you've got to, you've got to double down on it ASAP. Well, she's got a switch, but she doesn't use it. Well, try and keep it that way. Uh, anyway, should we get stuck in? Yes, shall we? So we've got quite a lot to get through today, haven't we? Um, we we've we've had something of a reaction, you would say, to last week's podcast and your uh, spin-off pieces for the website. Um, it's kind of one of those classic topics, I think. WHS. So last week we um, talked a lot about. Um, we've, we've had two podcasts back to back on WHS. One about the uh, England golf changes to the entry system for their elite competitions. And then kind of discuss that again and the sort of implications for club golf last week, um, as well as the sort of cheating debate. Um, but it's it's WHS that people seem to be getting triggered by. Um, and as I say, in a sort of classic way, people are saying, can you stop talking about it? And in, and but also there's m- many, many more people who can't resist talking about it. Um, and we're getting criticised for being on both sides of the argument. Um, I think people are saying, why are you so supportive of WHS? Some people are saying, there's nothing wrong with the system, stop panning it. Um, so I'm hoping that we are presenting balanced coverage because we seem to be upsetting everybody, a bit like the BBC. Um, so we're going to talk about that again. Um, and one of the threads of the feedback that we're getting for people um, seems to be around um, uh, expected score, um, which is a sort of nuanced difference between um, the US system, which is kind of the the, I guess the provenance of, of WHS is very closely aligned to the US system, but this concept of expected score is something that misses from our version or the, the UK version as it is at the moment. So we're going to talk about that and um, we think it might be on its way and we're going to get that into that into some detail. Um, I don't think we can do a podcast this week without discussing um, the Swilkin Bridge or the Swilkin Patio. So we'll have a little chat about that and what you think about it and what we think about it. Um, we want to touch on um, a piece that Steve's written about um, equality and equal access to golf courses at weekends. Um, so we'll get into that and we're going to kick that debate off and something that we think might run and run this summer um, as golf clubs seem to uh, seek to pick their way through the Equality Act still. Um, but we're going to start with Steve and his curmudgeonly attitude to hole-in-ones. My curmudgeonly attitudes to hole-in-ones, Wow. Yeah, it is true. It Steve, is true. Steve's written a piece about, uh, well, Steve writes a lot of pieces about golfing etiquette. And you all know that um, one sort of thing that's just an unwritten rule in golf, if you have a hole in one, you buy everybody a drink. Don't you, Steve? No. 
<laughs> I mean, this oh, is, I'm going to have to justify this, this now. The weird thing about this is you're not even setting out to be polemic, are you? You're just sort of telling telling us what you did. No, I'm actually telling a story. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. There's no moral thing here. I mean, there's no like, there's no good guy at the end of it. I am. I'm getting some support for this as well, actually. So I'm, I'm feeling more justified this morning. But l- let me, let me briefly review what happened. So um, this is a number of years ago now, actually. And I was, um, I was in unfamiliar pastor pastures. I was a visitor. Uh, course um, and I had a hole in one my only hole in one a iron one hop in saw it go in lovely shot hit it properly perfect hole in one never had one before half uh, 25 years of playing golf uh, obviously um, was very chuffed about this walked triumphantly to the flag with the playing partner eight million photographs that's obviously you're supposed to do you know from all sorts of various angles picking the ball out ball in the hole all that sort sorry, of stuff sorry so you're at, you're at um woodall spa aren't you i didn't say that in the piece that's, this, that's, is, that's, this is this is all background steve this is terrible so woodall, spa, woodall spa short of st andrews is sort of the spiritual home of golf it's a, it's the it's one the place in the golf. country the one place in the country where you would want to be doing things properly it's the home of england golf it's the, did it on, the sort of the epicenter of amateur golf. It's the, I did where it on the, the Bracken course. The dictates of rules and WHS and etiquette. Let's not forget etiquette. It's where they all emanate from. You're there on a freebie, are you? Or are you there? Have you paid your green fee? <laughs> <laughs> I was there for work. Right. So by which we'll we will assume that you weren't paying, right? I was there for work. Um, okay. So I had my hole in one. What hole are we on? It was the eighth on the Bracken. I think really? it's the eighth, isn't it? The par three. Uh, I don't know. You've thrown me there by saying the Bracken. Um, there, yeah, 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 you see, yeah, you yeah. set me up for this old kind of like Hotchkin memorial piece, and it was the other course. I think there's a big par five. Then Don Steele. With like a little stream. Yeah, got you. Don Steele. It was a nice shot. It was a really good shot. Anyway, so we're having the celebrations. I walked to the hole. The, the ninth tee is right next to the eighth tee. And, and as, as I was walking to the hole, on the ninth tee, the um, the group who were coming off started started basically barking their drinks orders at me. I, I to this day I have no idea whether they were serious or whether they were just laughing. But but it did make me it did make me think like I have no idea who you are. I've never met you before. I'll never meet you meet you again. Went into the clubhouse and it was absolutely rammed. I mean like just ridiculously rammed. Um and so the the the, the point of this piece was did I. It's talking about this tradition of, you know, should we buy a hole? Should we buy drinks um, on a hole in one for people we essentially don't know? And on that occasion, I did not. I bought, uh, I bought a drink for my playing partner uh, and then we hot footed it right out of Dodge. And some people, although a minority of people this morning have, have given me some grief about that. I, I, did, I did make the point in the piece that had this been at my home club, my reaction would have been entirely different. And would be entirely different. And there, Steve, and I would be quite happy to put a bottle of scotch on the bar and a couple of glasses and let the uh, and, and let some people who have less qualms about driving home than others um, crack on and uh, toast my expense. But I suppose the point I was trying to make in a sort of humorous way was situation matters. Does does situation matter? Do the people that you're with and around you matter? Should it matter? Should you feel like obliged? Should you feel compelled to essentially buy a room full of people you don't know a drink because you've had a lucky shot? Well, I don't know about this minority of people who think you're a curmudgeon, but it, it's there's one. Gro- it's definitely grown by one on this podcast. Like, oh, you, yeah, you as how, well. Of course, you, of course, you. I mean, I'm interested what the line is because, in my opinion, the etiquette's sort of pretty binary. You get a hole in one, you buy everybody a drink, and as you say, you put a bottle of scotch on the bar, and that's it job done you seem to have some sort of like have you got like a sliding scale like how well you know people like if you've been no, a member no, of a club longer got, would you, would you no, spend more i've not got a sliding scale my scale is am i at home or am i away if i'm away and i'm a visitor and i don't know anyone it's my choice and i decided on that occasion not to bother and um if i ever have another hole in one and i have one at my home course i'll quite happily get the drinks in for people that i know and acquaintances who might and and we'll we'll we'll, in, we'll enjoy my piece of fortune together. We are we are literally 
losing listeners in their thousands. No, but you, you think you are, but I'm going back to this morning. Social media has spoken. I've got, I've got, I should, I should, you have to bear with me while I get this, while I get this tweet up, but is it worth, it's worth doing because you're going to agree with this guy entirely and it'll just amuse you um, to poke fun at my expense. The whole whole thing is like wetting the baby's head. Like it's, you've you've been blessed. Like you've been given this gift of a hole in one. Oh, great. Now I have to pay for it. Fantastic. And you're toasting the the sort of golfing population to say like how I've, you know, achieved golf's ultimate goal. And you're now applying some, you're now applying some criteria to that. I'm unmoved here, Tom. Anyway, this, this, uh, this tweet has said once in a lifetime opportunity to enhance your experience and reputation and that of your club for the price of a bottle of whiskey. How nice the strangers who are just you from another club might have said poor form. Well, I mean, that even that's missing the point. You're not trying to enhance your reputation. No, you're not leaving like a little sign next to the bottle saying, I am Steve Carroll. I'm a member. At, uh, well, well some do that, don't they? I mean, you what? do get that these you, you get that these days now. So like at my club, um, if you have a hole in one at my previous club as well, you, you'd obviously buy the, the bottle and you put the glasses and then they would have like they would print out something that said who it was that got the hole in one and on which hole. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think that's what it's the gesture's about either. This it is you're buying your fellow golfers a drink with neither hope nor expectation of anything in return. It's not about enhancing reputation. It's just about passing back that little gift that you've been given. It's uh, all it is is um, just promoting drink driving, Tom. Oh right, <laughs> like, I like that. You can't fail on a moral angle, can you? <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm, I'm actually saving people uh, right. a quandary. Fair enough. Um, so we've uh, we've covered the really big news, uh, my, the passing of my 46th birthday. Um, we've got some huge, huge news uh, to do with the From the Clubhouse podcast. Um, we, we've built it, Steve, haven't they? And they've come, basically. Um, so we've been prattling on on here now for about six months, I think about topics like WHS and WHS again uh, and Taylor made have come to the party we have a sponsor this is this is very good news this is very good news Tom yeah I'm not sure I've ever had a sponsor or anything before does this mean you have to be responsible as if um, as if you were not taking a hole in one drink for example uh, yeah no, I don't think we do have to be responsible. I think uh, they've chosen to sponsor the From the Clubhouse podcast because we don't really have a, a foot in any equipment camps. TaylorMade and uh, National Club Golf are working partnership on lots of projects. Um, they're big supporters of, as of an advertising point of view. They sponsor our Top 100 Tour, which I presume many of you play in. Uh, and they're a really good brand to work in. They generally let us get on with it. and They don't dictate what content we're writing or talking about. Um and then, yeah, they're really helpful in terms of access to tech reps, uh, to products and all the rest of it. Uh, and it's great that they want to be associated with our podcast. The way it's going to work is we're desperate not to have a kind of from our advertisers message to bore you all with. Um, so Steve, once again, benefits from uh, our association with TaylorMade. So he's going to be he's going to be playing with uh, various bits of TaylorMade product throughout the season in his medals, in his match play comps at his club. Uh and let us know how he gets on. You started off with the driver, haven't you? Yeah, um, which I think is available now. Um, so I went to try uh, the Stealth 2, the driver. Uh, my local club professional, uh, I'm at York Golf Club. Um, his name's um, Mark Rogers. He's a PGA specialist professional. He also happens to be a tailor-made ambassador as well. So um, he's had um, all the kit for fittings um, for the for the tailor-made Stealth range. So I obviously went to see him um, and was fitted into a Stealth 2. And the results were very promising. They were very did promising. You, I mean, like, did you really, get really good? Did you get this? Because I did all the product testing just before Christmas. And there's, there's actually three different types of Stealth 2. So you can get a Stealth 2, you can get a Stealth 2 Max, or you can get a Stealth 2 High Draw. Do you know which one you got? Yeah, I'm in the Stealth 2. Right, the, so the actual proper two. one, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, sh- I probably should give listeners a bit of context here. Um, Tom has played with me enough, so he 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 will know that I am not exaggerating this. I'm an awful driver of a golf ball. I'm kind of like a really solid iron hitter 
and a very bad driver of a golf ball, which is not a great combination at, at York Golf Club, Strensel, which is tight and tree-lined. Um, so my handicap, as I have bemoaned on this podcast many times, uh, has been rising rather inexorably over the past year. I've gone from, I think, 7.3 to 10.9, and it's showing no signs of holding up yet. And the issue with that has been driving. If I can actually get the ball into play, I can actually score quite well. Um, so uh, I think a lot of people, when they think about drivers and they think about driver fittings, think about increased carry, you know, um, increased total yardage, maybe more ball speed. And I got all of those things, actually, with the Stealth 2. Um, I got, I think, just just under five extra yards of total distance, um, better smash factor, um, increased ball speed, slightly lower spin, all, all the things that you would expect um, from a modern piece of equipment. But what I was really looking for, and the, and the primary thing for me was dispersion. You know, could I actually hit the fairway? Um, because if I can hit the fairway, if I can get into play, I can score. And um, compared to my um, compared to my previous driver, my my previous driver, it was night and day stuff. So I will say, um, if this is one of the reasons why you really need to go and get fitted, because you can try a variety of different lofts and the heads and a variety of different shafts. So I was hitting a 10.5 degree driver that marks lofted up to 12. Um, so you wanted to close the face slightly um, because my big miss, I've got I've got two particular misses. One is quite an ugly snap hook, but the other is a really big compensatory wide block, um, which is the one that really hurts me. So he's um, he's opened the loft to close the face slightly to sort of take to give me to, to try and get rid of that big block. Um, I'm in the uh, even flow riptide shaft. Um, which is designed to give me a bit of stability. It's also half an inch shorter, which I really like. Um, so, and and what we found with dispersion was I was hitting the ball very straight with a very slight draw. Nice. And it was Sounds lovely, good. yeah. And like every shot, Tom went in the same place, like in the same place within within about sort of fifteen, you know, yards really, fifteen or twenty yards, which I think is really good with a driver. Um, we'll, so, see how, so, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. There's a honeymoon period with new drivers. We'll see how how it lasts when you get into the the meat and potatoes of your marriage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need to get it on the course and you need to do it in competition. But I, I will say this about it: I'm like, I'm optimistic for the first time in a while. Um, you know, I go out on a golf course and obviously it's, it's this is mental as well. But I've just sort of expected to hit the ball badly. Oh yes, the but the buzz of a new product it, it does kind of give you a bit of a confidence boost, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, where and then when I see where it's going, um, on the on the trap man, and I see the consistent shape, and I see the consistent finish, and I see it's longer despite more loft, shorter shaft. Helps you. You know. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm yeah. pretty I'm pretty excited. I'm you know I am for the first time in a long time I like pretty I'm so excited I went and played golf at the weekend. There we go. Right, so we'll be hearing more about Steve's escapades with his tailor-made product over the season, um, and we'll be expecting your expected scores to tumble. Steve. My most likely scores. Most likely scores, yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about now. So we've got um, many, 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 many. Uh, topics of discussion about um, WHS and its rollout and its nuances. Um, and this is something we've touched on in, in other pods, but not really any detail. And it's, I guess, something that Steve and I both think is is one of the sort of key factors in terms of um, some of the problems that we're seeing in terms of how it's been rolled out, because it is a big variance or difference between how WHS is um, implemented in the US and how it's implemented here. Um, so most likely score so if you're playing golf uh in a non stroke play uh scenario um then in the us you are allowed to submit a most likely score if the hole is completed so if you're playing match play um in a pairs game and your partner has already won the hole or halved the hole and your ball's still on the green you can add on uh, strokes that you think you will take based on some criteria laid out by the USGA. So you're basically not finishing the hole actually, but you are working out what you think you would have done from that point and you're recording that as you score. Um, and I think we should we should start really with the kind of official definition of that. Um, yeah. Um, so if you wanted to just run us through that w- what we do 
in the in the US when a hole is started, but a player does not hole out. Yeah. So uh, firstly, a bit of context on this. One of the reasons we're looking into this was because a number of listeners and also readers of the pieces said, well, what do you do when you don't hole out? Because obviously getting the ball in the hole is kind of like the deal of golf. And it's really how we play our golf here, Tom, isn't it? I mean, it's what we do, you know, like everything's about getting the ball in the hole from a handicapping point of view, at least anyway. And obviously that's not the case in America because in America, some of the acceptable scores for handicapping include match play and four ball play, which is not the case here yet. We'll, we'll get on to what we think might happen with that in, in a later date. So what I'm going to tell you is, is in the rules of handicapping, uh, it's in the rules of handicapping that apply here as well as in the USA. The reason that um, the, some of this stuff might be unfamiliar to you is because what we allow as acceptable scores and what are allowed as acceptable scores in the United States are different. Um, so this is rule 3.3, which is when a hole is started, but a player does not hole out. I'm going to read all of this to you because because Tom has, has done some of it already. But just to recap the point, there are various circumstances that might result in a player starting a hole, but not holing out. For example, when the result of a hole has been decided, a hole has been conceded in match play. Player's partner has already posted a better score in a four ball format and the player picks up or a player has already reached their net double bogey limit on a specific hole. And again, we'll, we'll have a look at net double bogey and maximum score as we um, as we go along. So the rules of handicapping say that if you start a hole but don't hole out, and you have valid reason for doing so. You're playing in a match play game in some of the circumstances that Tom's described, then you must repeat record your most likely score on net double bogey and this most likely whole score thing is going to blow your mind <laughs> if you're not used to it, it really is um, so what it is is it's the number of strokes that have already been taken to reach a position on a hole plus the number of strokes that you may most likely would require to complete the hole from that position and also any penalty strokes that you might incur as well so there are some guidelines for this that look at the position of the ball and then decide how many strokes need to be added. So I'm going to go through these, there's three of them all together. So if your ball's on the putting green and it's no more than five feet from the hole, you can add one additional stroke. If your ball is five feet and 20 yards from the hole, you can add two or three additional strokes. And this bit, this bit here is going to like set some of you aflame, I think. So you can add two or three additional strokes, quotes, depending on the position of the ball, the difficulty of the green and the ability of the player. And then the third criteria is if the ball lies more than 20 yards from the hole and then you add three or four additional strokes. Again, depending on the position of the ball, the difficulty of the green and the ability of the player. So that essentially is um, is what uh, most likely score is. Now, there's some limit. There's, there are no limits to the number of most likely scores that you can have in a player's adjusted score. This comes out in the notes. There is a rider to this, which is that the failure to hold out is for a quote valid reason and not for the purpose of gaining an unfair scoring advantage. So it is saying there that you're not supposed to use most likely score in order to basically top up or lower your handicap. But I mean, as, as I'm sure we'll discuss, Tom, I mean, your experiences of playing in the United States where mulligans and so on are a frequent thing, aren't they? That breakfast balls, perhaps. breakfast balls. Yeah. Yeah. Breakfast balls. Yeah. Um, it also says that for players with an established handicap index, the most likely score in any hole cannot exceed net double bogey for handicap purposes. Um, it says if you're doing it for an initial index, so these are these are people who are uh, putting in uh, scores for hand to get a handicap, then the most likely score cannot exceed par plus five strokes. And in a maximum score format of stroke play, which is a particular version of the game, and where you might not have reached net double bogey before reaching the maximum score, then you basically record either a most likely score or net double bogey, whichever is the lowest. There are some interpretations for this. I don't think we really need to get into them particularly. I think we've done that in some detail there. If you want to get into this, in, if you want to really go down the rabbit hole, and I've been there over the last couple of days, rule 3.3 in handicapping. But, but there are two things that sort of um, are really clear for me then for for those who are putting in 
um, these type of are in these type of positions and then putting in the score for handicap. The first is uh, a lot of people said, how can you use match play or or four ball play in order to put a handicap in if one of you is dominating the card or someone's picking up? Well, this clearly gives you the opportunity to do that and lays out how you can do it. Um, so I think that's sort of a misnomer. It's it's pretty clear you can use WHS under match play and um, and four ball play. But the second thing is, Tom, and, I, and this is where I think you can provide some real clarity, having played a lot in America and having played a lot with people who use um, USGA gin and WHS there, is there is an awful, awful lot of player integrity here. You know, like... Is is my hole is my ball five feet or six feet or four feet? What is the position of the ball? What's the difficulty of the green? What's the ability of the player if you're between more than five feet and twenty yards? I mean, there's a lot of kind of you sort it out and we'll trust you to make the judgment here, isn't there? There is. Um I think that I think saying it's to do with player integrity is one way of looking at it. And I think when we get to the end of this, I want to sort of talk about the kind of bigger picture. And I think that that player integrity piece sort of speaks to like what the what the spirit of WHS is, um, why it exists, why why we're being asked to move to this system. So I'd like to actually come back to that um, later on in the debate. The, the the I think we should sort of try and tick off a few of these um, criteria for um, for most likely score because some of it has has previously existed under Congo, right? So the the final point on the four bullet points of rule 3.3 is a player has already reached their net double bogey limit. So this exists, right? This has always existed. If you're, if you were playing a medal round under Kongu and you took a, an eight on a par five as a, stra- a scratch player for handicapping purposes, that score would be reduced to a double bogey. Um, and I'm not sure if that's widely understood because that is, that's something that has always existed. So when your handicap's being calculated, um, the worst you can do basically is a double bogey, which is is a big factor, I think. And uh, uh, over the years, have made many sort of on round calculations where you've had a a whopping score on one hole, which has meant you've got no chance of playing to your handicap, but you might still be able to make buffer zone once that score is reduced to a, a double bogey. Yeah, yeah. I think the easiest way to explain that is if you if you use the My England Golf app, if you're in England, or if you use Scotch Golf app, or wherever you are, or uh, or if you use uh, club software, if you go into your score, you'll see your gross total score. But then if you go in, you might see an asterisk beside one of the holes. And that's because that that hole has been reduced, basically, to net double bogey. You've recorded over yeah. the, the maximum score, as it were, for handicap purposes, and they've adjusted it in there. Yeah. So don't I don't think we need to particularly dwell on on that point because that is something that hopefully most people are used to and it certainly has existed for as long as I've played golf. Um so the 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 point that you're making about player integrity. So there are these parameters um around how many shots you add on. So if Steve and I are playing a four ball match together uh, and Steve is in the hole um for a score that wins us the hole and I still face a uh, five foot putt for my par, then under the rules of uh, of golf, as they are in America, uh, I can add on one shot without having to put the ball in the hole, right? Yeah. Um, so why, 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 why don't I just hole out? Well, you might miss it. Yeah, but what? Why is the rule affording me that luxury of not having to hole out? What's the point? Why don't they just say if you want to submit a, handi- a score of handicap, you have to hole out? I don't know. You're going to have to explain it because this is like, I mean, this is where I think we get a bit stuck because it's just completely anathema to our culture of playing golf. Well, um, I so I can't, I can't like, I can't countenance the idea of, you know, of, um, of, oh, it's five feet. Tom's won the hole. But I have to put a score in for handicapping, so I'll just add one. But that, it, I mean, it exists because WHS or the the American system of WHS or the American system prior to WHS requires you to put m- multiple scores in. Like, so the essence of it is we want the the governing bodies want scores flowing through the system constantly, so your handicap is reflective of your. Um, of your form so yeah you've got to put, we've, we've said this before haven't you you've got to put 
basically every scoring and some people have um bit back at us on that and said no you don't no you don't but you do <laughs> I've, asked, think... I've asked some pretty high up people who deal with handicap in america who basically say yes you've got you, you you're supposed to put all your yeah. scores in unless so so the, the system only works if you're submitting scores really really regularly um so then you're into okay so i have to submit every score so if we're if we're playing if every round of golf is played like a medal round where everyone holds out every putt and everyone completes every hole everyone's going back to every tee then golf's going to take two days to get around 18 holes particularly in four ball so, so they, are you are you arguing that most likely score in four ball and match play is essentially a pace of play exercise I'm not arguing yeah i think it's plain as day that's why it is i think the the, the two the two things are one the system only works if you submit every score two we can't have people holding out in four ball golf constantly because golf will take too long but then why just why have four ball or match play golf involved in it at all since there are these inherent variables in it well because of what i've just said because the system only works if you submit in every score and if if 50 percent of the golf you take is four ball or match play then you have to be able to count those rounds otherwise you're simply not going to submit enough cards mm. um so i so i think if that if the starting point for this debate is that's why it exists that's why it makes the system work then I would think you're then into then trying to stress test like the parameters they've set. So is it correct that if I've got a five foot putt, I can just add one shot on? How likely actually is it that I'm going to hold that five foot putt? Like what 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 um, what inaccuracy is that building into the system basically? Um, Essentially, so you've got some numbers. I have got some numbers. Yeah, it's quite an interesting. It might be make quite an interesting little quiz. Um, so I've got all kinds of data um, from from ShotScope, which is all of the rounds they've collected through their um, scoring app. So ShotScope, ShotScope is a wearable um, uh, data collection uh, device, basically comes as a watch um, and you can effectively count the shots you're taking um, in play. And then there's obviously a nice app that goes with it so you can assess those um, you can assess those uh your your statistics after the round so they've got like thousands and thousands and thousands of numbers of rounds collected thousands and thousands of pieces of data um for various different handicaps um so the usga is saying that effectively if you're under five feet then you're you're making a hundred percent of puts that's why you only add one on right um so the average handicap i think for a man uh, in this country is something in the region of 18 still isn't it yeah roughly um so if we if we started off with a 20 handicap which is the closest i can get to um the average handicap how many how many puts do you think on average people using shot scope are holding for, they've actually got an under six foot put um and uh, i would say there are i would say this is quite a soft number because the way that putting works on these apps is you you sort of you do it yourself manually after the hole's completed so there might be an element of gimmies built into this number even so, so what do you want me to express um, this as a percentage yeah what percentage of putts under six foot do you think a 20 handicap holes according to shot scope data mm. so like getting up to about three feet three and a half feet they're going to hold the vast majority but from five and six feet, they're going to start missing quite a lot. I know this because I'm a 10 handicapper, 11 handicapper, and from five feet, I miss quite a lot. I'm probably only about 50% <laughs> from five feet. So let me go with, let me say 85%. I don't believe you haven't read the numbers. You must have read the numbers. It's 80, 84%. That's, that's some guess. I'm in the wrong job. Data golf, like Lou Stagner, where are you? You know, I'm here. I'm your man. <laughs> right. And I so I play off scratchish and the make percentage for a scratch golfer of five feet or under or six feet or under is apparently 92 percent. Oh, I thought it'd be higher than that. I thought you'd be only missing about five percent of the time. No. But so what, what I would say about this, this particular thing is that. I think that that distance of put how well you clean up from that distance. Um often dictates 
like whether you're playing to your handicap or not because I, I would absolutely agree and and I think maybe this I, I apologize in advance if I'm nicking your major point here um but this has occurred to me like eureka in the bath um I mean obviously six feet to five feet so you've got to take the you've got to take the you've got to have some you have some variance in the shot scope stats but essentially I think what you're getting to is you know, if, if your ball is no more than five feet from the hole and you're basically adding a stroke over time with enough of these putts, you're essentially going. Are you suggesting you're essentially going to be getting some free shots? Yeah, I think you you absolutely are. So I think there's a few things. I think it it hugely levels out um, your scores because, like on any given round, I think I can reliably um, be trusted to lump it by um, par four greens into chip it on somewhere near. And then if I'm then conceding that putt from under five feet, then I think that's making a huge difference to my score. Um, according to the numbers, it's making about 10% difference to my score. 10%, uh, sorry, it's reducing the number of putts I'm taking by 10%. So I think that's that's quite significant. Um, I think that um, that putting is such a fundamental part of golf, as in the numbers are one thing but the reality is that the, all, all five foot putts are not equal um so yeah. had i have to do i have to if i had to make that putt because i knew it counted for my handicap that's more pressure than just being able to pick it up obviously um if the putt is has got a foot of break in it uh, of left to right breaking it and it's downhill that's harder than a straight uphill putt obviously and um, so i'm delighted to pick it up um and, so, and I think it's you, you take so many puts per round, like average puts per round for a scratch handicap are about 29. I think mine are more like 35 probably. Um, and that is a big chunk of 70, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 37, 38. I think if I was doing this in in four ball and match play, I think I would be saving at least two shots around probably on my handicap, at least two, because I can think of at least two occasions on every round where I probably miss a five footer. And if you take it the other way around, so let's say that if you're saying your average puts per round are about 38 and your average score is 80, let's say, um, for argument's sake, you're talking about something in the region of 45, almost 50% of your shots are putting, right? Yeah. And and here we are removing the sort of the, the actual finisher completer part of golf. If if this rule said once around you can just chuck your ball down in the middle of the fairway from a tee shot, you don't have to actually hit your tee shot then people would be like, well, that's just ridiculous. That's just not golf. But that would actually have less impact on your score than this business of being able to pick it up from five feet. Yeah. There are a couple of things that really strike me about this, and and I wanted to draw on your experience. So, I mean, obviously, for most likely score to count, um, you have to have a valid reason for not holding out subject to in the rules of handicapping. And, and, and obviously, some of those we've outlined. But I don't really see too many opportunities in stroke play here and yet I think from your experience this happens all the time in stroke play is that just a cultural thing because or or is it because a lot of American golf is perhaps more match play four ball I was I always thought that match play was more prominent here than over there um I don't I mean I don't know I don't know the answer to that question I just I just think that as you said last week I think it's a cultural thing because they've grown up with this system so they get used to not holding out um, and the second thing, Tom, Tom very quickly, is I, I think if I had the opportunity to do this all the time, I would do this all the time. Like, I mean, I'm not saying I would, you know, I'm not saying I would add three or four additional strokes from more than 20 yards. With my handicap, I would fancy myself to try and get down in two from there from 20 yards. So, But five foot putt, if my ball was on the green and no more than five feet from the hole and I could add one additional stroke, I would absolutely take that option every single time. And wouldn't that not make me worse? at short putting because i'm not doing it as much 100 percent, yeah um so i think that when people say on social media oh we've got this daft american system which we know doesn't work because all american handicaps are ridiculous and they can't play to the hand they're not when i play with a four handicap they're nowhere near a four handicap which is the sort of theme of quite a lot of the comments we're getting on twitter this is why it's because there's inherent softness built into the system because of most likely score. Um, so what what how many shots are the USJ saying that you, you add on when you're outside from off the green? What is the what what are they saying there? 
So going if between five feet and 20 yards is adds two or three additional strokes, depending on position of the ball, difficulty of the green and ability of the player. And then yeah. if you're more than 20 yards um, from the hole, add three or four additional strokes, depending again on those on that criteria. So as, as I said, I mean, I think from more than 20 yards, I'd... Uh, but but th- I'd be pretty much trying to have a go. But then I'd understand why maybe a, a much higher handicapper would say, "I'll have my three, thanks." And and you know, on what occasion would you be adding three or four, or would you be adding two or three? I mean, like I'd be definitely. I'm, and I'm not saying players here are, are, are bending the rules or cheating or anything like that. I'm not. I'm not stressing any impartiality issues. But you know, we are not the best judges of difficulty of position of ball or ability of player are we because it's in they are in inherently subjective factors they're not fixed um so you know what might be an easy shot for me might be a very difficult shot for someone else but i'm not sure that they'd be saying yeah that shot's terrible it's really really hard so i won't take three i'll take four instead i mean like, it's not human nature to do that is it yeah so i mean that i mean that is interesting so uh, Shotscope have got some numbers that are to do with approaches to the green and the numbers Ooh. of shots it takes to finish. Um, so if you're a 20 handicapper and you've got an eight iron in your hand, what do you think the average number of shots is it takes you to finish the hole? 20 handicapper, eight iron from how far away? I don't know that. It's from. It's just from. It's just the club. I mean, it's going to be at least three. Um, one shot onto the green, two putts, but it's probably going to be three and a half because sometimes you'll miss the green. So you might take two to get on the green. And over, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be, if I had to average it, I'd have a go at three and a half. See, that's, so that's also fascinating. Um, so the, the, the average green success with an eight iron for a 20 handicapper is 24%. So they're hitting the green 24% of the time. Um, the average number of shots it takes a 20 handicapper to finish the hole with an eight and nine in the hand is four. Right. So, so spot on then. Well, you said three and a half. And, and, and again, no, I mean, like, sorry, I mean, like, add three or four additional strokes in my and most likely score. It's pretty much spot on, isn't it? it well, it's, it is, but it isn't because these things are not going to be miles out, right? Because no. we're all golfers, so we can all, like, make a reasonable a stab. But... Tell me a golfer who's going to go for the top end of that tolerance. Tell me a golfer who's not going to overestimate their own ability. Oh, yeah, that's what I've said. Yeah, absolutely. There are none. Um, so if you're stood there with um, an eight iron, you've got an eight iron left into a green on a hole that you can't um, impact on in match play. Under the rules, you're allowed to add on three or four. Every single time, you're going to add on three. You're never going to add on four. Why would you? And... The, but the truth of it is that the most likely amount of shots you're going to take from that point, according to the data, is four. But do, do you think so, in reality, so, is, so, so again, there's there's 25% comfort built into the American system with no one cheating, right? No one's yeah, cheating but, here. This is what the system says to do. So you're going to be recording scores in that instance, which are 25% lower, actually, than what you are likely to do, according to the data. How often, though, do you think this is going to come up? I mean, like, I mean, I, I can I can see the add one additional stroke. I can see that coming up all the time in in four ball and match play. I can see it coming up all the time. Five feet and twenty yards. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can see bits of that. You know, ten feet put, twelve feet put. But you know, more than twenty yards from the hole, for example, where you've got a situation where a, a hole has been completed um, and a ball is off the green. I mean, does that come up very often? Um, well, I mean, do you mean just from in my experience, how often does that happen? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, how often are you going to be playing in a four ball game where your partner's completed the hole and you are more than 20 yards from the hole? It's possible. But I mean, in reality. Well, I mean, if if your partner stiffs it on a par three and you've missed the green. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I guess it's I guess it's not coming up very often. But it it doesn't need to come very often up no. very often to have a big impact, right? No. Because it, like four, five, six shots per round over a period of time, it's having a huge impact on what people's index will end up being. Yeah, I, I mean, I can absolutely un, I can absolutely see why how you would be able to post what you would consider to be a reasonable number using that system of most likely score definitely yeah 
Um, I mean, I mean, the shot scope data is enormous, and I'm, I am, you'd have to presume that the the USGA's numbers are based on similar data from similar scoring apps or aggregated data from scoring apps. Like it, they haven't just guessed, have they? No. Um, and they're not far out, but there are. It is it, it is obviously softer than having to hole out on every hole. So I think this then gets you into the sort of bigger point of we've gone to this we've gone to this system which is supposed to be a worldwide system. It's not a worldwide system because we've got people have implemented it in different ways. We don't have the notion of um, most likely score and the US do. Um, and that is why you're still going to get this difference between uh, what a US handicap looks like and what a handicap over here looks like. Um, the the point I really want to get into at some point is it doesn't really matter what the system is as long as everyone's using the same one and it's all implemented the same. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been barking on this particular point for some time now, I think, because, you know, we we, are, we were told this is a worldwide system. Well, worldwide system, to me, at least implies uniformity. Um, and that's not what we've got. I mean, I, I think in Australia, they do things slightly differently as well. I think they use uh, a particular number for handicap allowance because that's the number that they've always used. Obviously, in America, you know, you've got um, four ball and, and match players. We're talking about being acceptable for handicap handicap scores. It's not over here because we've decided it's, it's not part of our culture. And um, I do think when you've got these variances in how people are doing it and as and as you, you as you've eloquently explained over the last 10 minutes or so you know when it comes to most likely score it can actually have in, in our opinion a profound impact on the number that you put in um from that format that you're playing then then um then it's easy to see why you get inconsistency in the system i'm i'm really like because uh, because some people would say that um i mean i personally think that whs was introduced to for, to give everyone the opportunity to have a handicap, to try and to try and basically expand the number of people who could have a handicap and make it easier for the, easier for them to do so, and make it more accessible. There are some people out there who said that this is because um, elite tournaments were essentially being skewed by uh, overseas players whose handicapping, because of the system that they employed, was not close to the jurisdiction perhaps that they might be playing in, and therefore people who should be getting into tournaments and shouldn't be getting into tournaments and vice versa were doing so and not doing so. Um, but it, but it, it is so irritating, isn't it, Tom, that oh, this worldwide system is not the same everywhere else. I completely agree with you. Either have it the same or like, or, or just have Congo as it was before or have, you know, USGN slope as it was before. I, I, this, this kind of halfway house is, is kind of like really confusing me. Yeah, I, well, I, yeah, we're not. I don't think our role is to really sort of suggest an alternative because, like I said, I just I don't think the system matters. Like as long as as long as everyone does it the same. Yeah. I don't, the thing I can't grasp is how we've managed to set out on something which has been sort of held held up as this thing that's going to unify how we do it, and it it hasn't been done like that. It's I mean, do, you, do you think then that we're because obviously we've leaned to the USGA system, you know, WHS is essentially is 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 substantially different because I think the I think they used to use ten scores instead of eight in the old averaging under under the old USGA course rating. But but essentially this is a is a legacy of the American system that's been adapted, um, and it's obviously a complete change for us. Do you think as we go forward that we're going to to get that uniformity that you're talking about, to have everyone um, doing the same thing, that we're going to have to bend and you know allow four ball and maybe allow match play scores. I think this, I think some of this has been trialed in Ireland already, so it's not like it's unique to just across the pond. You know, it, it is happening in Europe already. Apparently, I mean, do you think that that's going to happen? That eventually we're just going to have to suck it up and you know allow most likely scoring four ball and match play and formats like that. I think yeah, hundred percent. I think that I think that the only way that you get you get the system off the ground here properly is to say that the expectation is that you submit you submit all scores, and Tom, I think that 
in order to submit all scores, you have to um, have this softness built into the system. Otherwise, golf will take too long. Tom is now putting on his tin hat in readiness for some social media grief. So let me so let me try and head head some of that off at the path uh, at the pass. Sorry, and say. Um, I mean, how how is our golfing culture going to reconcile with that? Because our culture is put the ball in the hole. That's always what it's been about. And our culture, and and, and obviously our culture is four ball and match play and social is essentially social in in terms of handicapping at least. And we've never done this and we never will. And I'll stop playing golf if you make me put four ball scores in. I think, right, so... Please do not conflate my opinion on how golf should be taken with how I think that the rollout of WHS can be rectified, because those are two different things, right? Good save. <laughs> um, but the, what we're essentially talking about, I guess one of the big things here is gimmies, isn't it? So with this idea that the, the handicap system is basically giving you putts inside five feet, um, that is, uh, what's the word? Anathema anathema yeah anathema it's unacceptable to... some might say yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is unacceptable for those who can't say or spell the word anathema um in terms of like the point of golf like dan murphy played, i've played hundreds if not thousands of rounds of golf with him um over a 30 year period and he is very vocal about the fact they think that there's just no place for gimmies in golf right uh, and I'll tell you that that means that playing golf with him on a golf trip or on um, in a social game is an utter pain in the ass because you just want, if the ball is a foot away from the hole or two foot away from the hole, you just want to pick it up and he makes you hole it out. Um, so I don't think I'm quite the um, gimme evangelist or gimme Nazi um, that some people are, but there is a limit. And I think saying but the, the essence of a gimme is judgment, right? So I will give you a putt that is three feet if I think that it's a really easy putt and you've been knocking putts in all day and it's at the right point in the round of our match, right? But if you've got a five-footer that's breaking, I've got a foot breaking it and it's a crucial putt at a crucial part on the match, I'm not going to give you it, obviously. So it's it the, the, the sort of beauty of a gimme is that it's used in a sort of tactical sense. It's used to add kind of... Um, nuance to match play matches it's not like because we're all human beings right there's no such thing as everyone holds every five foot putt it's not a thing is it um so i think you you might like dan's line on it is if you're sort of going to start picking the ball up from three and four feet you might as well write your score down from your couch what's the point in going and playing if you're just going to make it up I i mean like for handicapping purposes i tend to agree with him um I do agree with him. I mean, I understand entirely what you're saying from a match player point of view. Um, that's not essentially, it's not quite what we're saying here, are we? Because this most likely score comes into effect when a hole is supposed to have been completed in, in the way that we're talking about it. I mean, obviously, um, I don't know what happens in America in in non in non four ball and non match play golf, I don't know what happens. I don't know how they put their scores in. I've never seen it. But I mean, is this most likely score thing happening in, you know, your average run of the mill round? Is it, you know, from your experience as a player, basically getting to five feet and saying, yeah, fine, I'll just yeah, pick yeah, that up yeah, because yeah, because yeah, the rule yeah. does the rule does 100%. say, doesn't it? I mean, the rule in the note says provided that the failure to hold out is for a valid reason and not for the purpose of gaining an unfair scoring advantage. Yeah, right, that's what the rule says. But what the, the best thing you said on the podcast last week was this cultural thing. So once you once you take the lid off the jar that says, actually, in some circumstances, you can pick your ball up from five feet, people are not hearing the in some circumstances bit. They're just hearing the bit where you can pick your ball up from five feet. So it just becomes what you do, right? And, and of course, you're the arbiter you and your playing partner are essentially the arbiter of your score, aren't you? Because a lot of golf in America's pays you pay and play. So it's not necessarily under what we would think of as competition conditions, right? So it's you, an app. 100%. Right, I understand. 100%. So I would say that when I've played social golf with Americans, even if you're sort of having a match and the ball's like within three or four feet of the hole, they routinely just pick it up. Uh, and I like... 
I don't necessarily have a problem with it. That's just that's just what happens. But that is a difference, right? And it, the the reason it's different is because of the stuff we're talking about here. It's because yeah. of most likely score. I, I mean, I do I, like when when a handicap is on the line. I I sort of do think that the ball should go in the hole because it's the fundamental purpose of what the game is about. The game isn't to hit the ball somewhere near the hole and then put your score in. I mean, the the entire purpose of golf, its being, is you get the ball in the hole in the fewest number of strokes possible. So, so to then start using the number by which we compete, which is essentially handicaps, at least in the UK, because we use our handicaps to compete with each other and in club competitions, to then start essentially modifying that by saying well it's within a certain thing of the hole so i'll just pick up for one as you say as you rightly say you don't make all five footers i don't make all three footers sometimes i miss an 18 incher to my shame um so i can't see any i can't see any circumstance where if it was allowed where if i was five feet or within i wouldn't just say one pick up one and my handicap would absolutely go down absolutely so is it then is it then uh, indicative of my potential as it used to be in the old ways? Is it then more representative of my ability as a golfer? I don't think it is. I don't think it is because it's so, because I've I've manufactured parts of it. So we're going to have to move this on. But I mean, we could get into like a massive ethereal debate about the difference between American psyche and British psyche. And I definitely think there is something in that as well, where uh, I think golf in the US is there's an awful lot of wealthy people playing golf in the US. I think it's played as social time. It's time It's time away from the office. It's not, I don't think the concept of like grinding out medal scores exists in the same way. Um, I think that American sport is like that. Like we, like British people like to think of themselves as being sort of virtuous and things are done properly and blah, 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 blah. And I think in the US, your sport is supposed to be fun and you. it's all about hanging the banner and getting your chest out and, um, isn't everything great? Aren't we all great at this game? Um, so I think those things are different. Um, and I, I just, I think maybe I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong, but maybe there's something that we should be learning from that is that we're playing the game because it's supposed to be social time, leisure time. And whether we win the voucher for the pro shop on a Saturday is not the be all and end all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's lurch from one crisis to another than the Swilkin bridge. Speaking of, uh, <laughs> speaking of, um, Thick, weird things that golfers get hot under the collar about. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, we all the power of social media. You see, you sort of you you kind of like doubt Twitter at your peril. They literally not li- so, well, literally because they wrote it down. They literally got a massive organisation to about turn in forty eight hours. So what we're talking about here is the is the extension to the Swalcombe Bridge that the people at the Links Trust presumably. Um, put in at the start of last week um i think to try and protect like a very obviously a, a bit of bit of ground with my, presumably the highest traffic bit of ground in all of golf you would yeah, have thought. yeah i mean i mean i mean it's not just golfers on there is it you know anyone who goes to st andrews goes and gets yeah. their picture taken on that bridge so i mean it does get it gets some heavy use it's like right up there with the top of the eiffel tower you would think in terms of footfall like it's it's uh a well-trodden patch of land anyway so it's obviously turned into like a bit of a muddy mess so the links trust had put in um uh some paving slabs shall we say to sort of extend the swilkin bridge out to cover up that muddy mess and golf twitter did not like it did it no they did not they called it all sorts of things um a mustache on the mona lisa was actually the um was actually the headline in the dundee courier it was a front. It was a front page story in the Dundee Dundee Courier. A mustache on the face of the Mona Lisa. Um, I think I picked up a tweet because obviously I wrote about this this week um, in very quick time. The story of it happening and then the story of it not happening. Um, uh, someone referred to it. I think I used it in my headline as absolute vandalism. Like, people got very very upset about it. Very upset. And not, and not just like not just punters either. I mean, like proper golf, like proper golf celebrities. So Nick Faldo, Ken Brown, Eddie Pepperell, all these kind of people weighed in with their disgust and their and their and their anger at what had happened over the crazy paving. Just think it's uh, it's pretty classic golf, isn't it? 
gold. What did you X. think of it then? What? What did you think of it then? I, honestly, I I kept seeing people posting it and uh, with various levels of anger about it. I mean, I don't know. It's like a funny meme when people put in like deck chairs on it or whatever or hot yeah, tub. Ke- Ken Brown's barbecue on it on his tweet was very funny. I just all he needed a, was a parasol and a few bits of sausage. It's just literally amazing that that, that golf golf will sort of accept um, the, the nefarious funding of startup tours, should we say, in some number, but it will not accept a patio. It's absolutely crackers. I mean, when they made the statement basically saying we'll get rid of this, I mean, they didn't hang about, did they? The next morning, it was gone. Well, I mean, that is gone. that is. I mean, that is ludicrous, isn't it? Because what what are they going to do now? Like, <laughs> you can't. Like, you cannot. Like, I just. Ugh, I don't know. We'll put that. We'll put that. We'll we'll put that back because someone some people on Twitter didn't like it. Absolutely. I, I was sort of mixed about it. I thought I thought that they do need they do need to do something. I mean, um, it, it, I, they showed a picture in October which I thought was illustrative of the. Um, of how bad it gets and basically all of the, all of this bare earth and and people will say well that's what happens when you walk across paths but when your ethos is perfection which is essentially what it is there i mean you go there and it's perfect you got you go there in january and like the greens are unbelievable um it's like always fantastic turf to play off it's they really look after it. the greenkeeping team there are absolute geniuses they do a phenomenal job with the resources um, so I suppose that like that really bit of tatty sort of mud bit that they that they had there would like would irritate them, right? It would irritate me. I mean, like everything else is like spot on, but the, I, uh, and I it guess... would be annoying. And they, and 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 in, and to be fair to them, Tom as well, you know, they did say in their initial releases they've tried lots of stuff to sort this out. You know, they've put turf down, they've tried hybrids, they've they've done all kinds of things, but without success, and. I'm not sure for their culture, you know, the the argument of, well, just leave it, it'll be all right, is really not what they want. So I understand, like, intrinsically why they are looking at different ways to to prevent it. So the the the, the people are obviously so proprietorial about uh, the old course, right? Um, and you sort of understand that to a degree. But it, I do think it also speaks to this point about the difference between the American psyche and our psyche, because you can't touch the old course, right? So you can't go moving um, bunkers. You can't go um, growing rough in the Elysian fields because people go bonkers. Like John Huggan gets triggered enough where they move a tee back 20 yards, right? Um, yeah, over over in the States, like in Augusta, and I, I was at Sawgrass last week, as you know, they change the golf course all the time to try and make it better Augusta like cut and paste trees in so they can tighten up a hole or they they they've made massive changes to 11 over the years they've moved the tee back on 13 against this year no one's like bleating about it they're all just sort of accepting of it yeah people always seem to be surprised when you tell them that the first green at St Andrews is only like 140 years old what well yeah it was in the sea do you know what it's built on a load of rubbish so it's like, like literally but yeah, I just think people like they want it every which way around with the old course. It's people are like I say, they're sort of proprietary about it, and it's this sort of Sistine Chapel and spirit of Tom, old Tom, and all the rest of it. Um, and then on the other hand, they go it's too easy, shouldn't have an open. So which way around do you want it? You've got to, you've got, you've got to be able to move it on. Um, like a lot, I think that's the same with a lot of these golden age architects, or a lot of these classic architects rather. Um, is that if they were still alive today, they wouldn't just be saying, no, no, I built it like that, so I'm leaving it like that. They'd restore it for the modern game, wouldn't they? And I'm not, I understand we're now off the topic of patios, but it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, think I don't so. think people, I don't think people are applying like architectural critique to the patio because, like, it was more the change to the old course, right? They weren't saying if you, if you'd used a different type of Indian slate, we'd have been happy. Or if you'd use Yorkshire sandstone, it would have been beautiful. Some people did ask why it was off centre. Right. So people I mean, are all, on the I'm, all I'm going to say about it is this. Um, say, yeah, yeah, I will. If, if, you, if you flew a drone over it, it looked like something that probably wasn't ideal. 
It looked like a massive cock and ball, Steve. That's what you're saying. Uh, you're very blunt. Uh, Troon, actually. Troon have just put a, a winter tea on the postage stamp, which is AstroTurf. Yes, I saw that. Yes. So that's I mean, sort of that that got some comment. It didn't quite get the didn't quite get the level of appropriate that the patio at St Andrews yeah. did. Yeah, right. Um, so we 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 were going to talk about um equality and uh weekend access to golf for female but, members. But um, we've run out of time. But we've run out of time. Um, but that I think we should talk about that next week. And yeah. I guess what we're interested in is people's views on how that works at their club. Like if you if you have um, a system of um, um, mixed competitions happening on a Saturday or multi-tee competitions happening on a Saturday, or if it's just men-only competitions on a Saturday, how that works, um, what the sort of feeling is at your club, what you think the future is for uh, equal access um, to golf and how that impacts on people's ability to get on the golf course at a weekend, then we're all ears. Um, looking forward to hearing your views on um, most likely score. Um, one thing I wanted to add, actually, before we go, is uh, Hannah Holden's YouTube channel has now got this amazing course vlog of Sawgrass. Go and watch it. It's brilliant. Really, really good. Uh, and do, you know, give us a shout out on Twitter. Do subscribe to this podcast channel. Um, we'll see you next week, I guess. Yeah. Cheers, Tom. Look forward to it.